Who's familiar with the word proactive? And no, I do not mean the acne removal medicine. Um, I do not mean proactive in that sense. I mean proactive as opposed to reactive. Uh, last year on the first Sunday, can y'all believe that this is my second first Sunday of a year here? This is crazy. Um, last year, the first Sunday of the year, um, I did kind of a state of the church kind of sermon. Um, uh, this year, I thought about doing the same, and I decided not to um, for several reasons. One of them is those tend to be reactive. They tend to look back at 2017 and say, okay, let's react kind of to what happened and what we did. Uh, what I really want to do today is I want, I want this to be proactive. Rather than look back at 2017, we're going to do a little bit of that. But rather than look back at 2017, I want us to say as a church, as Stapleton Baptist, as this body of believers right here, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do in 2018? What ought we to do now? Everybody, has anybody made a New Year's resolution yet? Probably wise. <laughs> they usually don't go well. Um, as a church, I don't want us to make some New Year's resolutions. I want to put some stuff on the table in front of us and say, we as a body are either going to take it or leave it. But it's not a New Year's resolution. It's, it's more like an opportunity for us to kind of start fresh and say, we're going to be obedient to things that the Bible has always commanded us to do. And now is a great opportunity for us to take stock and say, okay, we need to be proactive and make 2018 different than 2017, maybe individually, maybe corporately in some of our lives. So I want us to think, think proactively today. Don't think reactively. Think proactively as we look at this text. Don't think of things that would keep us from doing this. Just think God has commanded them, therefore we must. So if you will flip in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 23 through 25 today. That's all. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25. Um, and if you would stand with me out of the respect... For the reading of God's Word, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Father, I hope that you would prick our hearts and you would draw us uh, to attention, to activity, to holding fast our confession, to considering one another, to stir up uh, good works and love. And Father, to not forsake each other in the gathering together of this body. Inspire us to do that through your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I titled this message Looking Forward because that's kind of what I want us to do today. I want us to look at 2018 and look at this passage in Hebrews and, and kind of start going this direction as a church um, to look at these three instructions the author of Hebrews has given us and to consider whether or not those are active parts of our lives as Christians individually and corporately. And so I want us to see three ways this morning that we can look forward. And first, I want us to look forward in confident confession. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I split this verse into two halves for me. I've got the what and the why. 
The what the author of Hebrews is telling us to do is to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, there is, there is, Hebrews is a dense book, y'all. I don't know if you've ever studied it, if you've ever sat down to look through it. There's a lot going on in the book of Hebrews. And there's a lot of context that I can't fit in to just one Sunday. And if I ever totally and completely lose my mind and just feel like diving into the deep end of the pool, we'll just grab the whole book of Hebrews and start doing it. Um, I look forward to that day. For today, I can't get into all of that, or we would be here for the next State of the Church sermon in 2019. But I'm going to try and break down as much as is relevant in this verse as I can. Uh, He says, hold fast without wavering. Uh, This is one of the major ideas of the whole book of Hebrews. The the big question surrounding the book of Hebrews is, is it written to believers or is it written to non-believers or is it written to some combination of the two? Uh, just based on the fact that the author's brethren and the instructions he gives and the fact that he says, you know, don't turn your back on this and walk away, he's talking to professing believers. That, that's, the, that's the group in question here. So when he says, hold fast without wavering, look down in verses 33 through 36 of this same chapter. Um, Actually, I'll start in verse 32. He says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, after you heard the gospel, after you had this preached to you, after you heard the truth, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Whoever the author of Hebrews is, the group of people he's writing to have suffered. And they have suffered to the point that some of them are about willing to hang up this Christianity thing and say it's not worth it. That this is too hard. Society hates me too much. They're breaking into my house. They're plundering my goods. They're locking people up. They're beating people. They're executing people. This is too much. When I can turn around and I can go back to just being a a, a Mosaic law practicing Jew and be recognized as a legal religion and be safe and not have people do this to me. Now, we would say someone who chose that decision, we would not say that person was a believer. We would say that they had never actually been saved. Because let me tell you something, if you, if you know Jesus, you can't quickly leave Him. If you find somebody who left Jesus, I'll, find, I'll show you somebody who's never been with Him. But the author of Hebrews is telling them, he says, guys, listen. You are being tempted to turn around and walk away. He's not saying you're going to lose something. He's going to say you're about to prove that you never had it. But if, in fact, your confession is true, you have need of endurance. That you are suffering right now, you're having a difficult time, and you need to hold fast your confession of hope without wavering. Now, this word hold fast means to possess it. You know, when it's used negatively in the Greek Bible, it can mean to restrain, to hold back. The idea is you're going to lay hands on it forcibly. That, you're, that this, is, this is not just 
when you put the baby on the changing table, you kind of just keep a hand on it so that the baby doesn't roll off. This is not just kind of keep a hand on it to make sure nothing happens. This is like hug it and hold on to it so that it, it, it ain't moving unless you let it. You, you are possessing, you are hanging on to your confession of hope without wavering. Um, and what is the confession of hope? Well, if you are a Christian, it's the gospel. It's what makes you who you are. You are not a Christian because you do and don't do certain things. You are a Christian because Jesus Christ shed His blood for you and claimed you as His own. And as a result, you belong to Him. That is now your identity. Say, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Baptist. That's not what I asked. They're not always the same thing. I've known some folks who've been great Baptists in my life, but I question whether or not they were a Christian. And I've known plenty of Christians in my life that weren't Baptist. I think the coolest ones are the ones who were both. But that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> but your confession of Christ is what makes you who you are. And that is what the author of Hebrews is telling you to hold on to without wavering. Now, why, why would he say your confession? Because the confession is what a lot of Christians in the early church were called to renounce. To deny Christ. To reject Him as King. To turn around and say, uh, Jesus is not Lord. That's why one I mean, the last words on a lot of Christians in the early church's lips were the words Christos Kurios, Jesus is Lord, Christ is Lord. That's, that, those were the last words on a lot of Christians' lips. Because the alternative was for them to say Caesar is Lord, and they were not willing to do that. So the author of Hebrews is telling them, hold fast that confession of Christos Kurios, that Jesus is Lord. And inside that confession contains everything. It contains the confession of our own sin, personally. It contains the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. It contains the confession that He died on the cross in our place, substitutionally for that sin. It contains the confession that He rose three days later. It contains the entirety of the Christian faith. And the author says, hold fast to it without wavering. The word confession in Greek is the word homologeo. When you break that down into its two disparate parts, homo means the same, and legeo means to say. It means to say the same thing about Jesus that God the Father has said about him. That we should all be saying the same thing. You know, if... How do I tell the difference between somebody who is a Christian and who isn't? Whether they're Baptist, Methodist, you know, Episcopal, Anglican, whatever. If you share the same gospel with me and you believe it, even though we may differ on some different points. If you hold to the gospel, if we homologeo, if we say the same thing. Now, there may be reasons we don't fellowship together in worship. Maybe we believe different things about baptism. Maybe we believe different things about minor issues, but on the major points, we all say the same thing. If, if that's the case, you're a Christian. And the author of Hebrews says, hold fast to that without wavering. Why? We've been through the what? Why hold fast 
to our confession of hope without wavering because He who promised is faithful. That's why. That's why you hold on. That's what He says to do. Who is the one who made the promise to us about Jesus Christ? That would be God the Father. That would be Jesus the Son. That would be Holy Spirit. That we were promised... If you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection, it does not matter what happens to you on this earth. You are guaranteed beyond a shadow of a doubt eternal life and peace with God your Father. And that body, one day when it is put in the grave, it will be, it will be buried in corruption. It will be raised in incorruption, never to die again. We have that promise from God. The question is, do you believe that he is faithful and good to keep his word? The author of Hebrews is saying, if you believe that he is faithful to keep his word, then you hold on to your confession and you don't balk. It doesn't matter what it costs you. So let's break this down and apply this to us in 2018. Stapleton Baptist, have you ever gotten discouraged have you ever gotten discouraged and said, I see all these empty pews. I see the potential that this church could have. But it's hard. Folks don't want to listen. Folks talk bad about us. They say things about me that aren't true. When I say me, maybe they do say things about me. I don't know. But I'm talking about you personally. Maybe somebody has said something about you personally that's not true. Maybe somebody said something about this church corporately that's not true. Maybe they've been told a half-truth and they don't know the whole story. Maybe they're frustrated and they don't want anything to do with the church because of that. And it's really easy for you to just lay down and die and quit. To just not talk about Jesus anymore. It's just it's too much of a struggle. Maybe it worked. You just I'm tired of getting on people's nerves and having people to tell me I don't want to hear about that. That's it's just easy to just lay down and die. Hold fast your confession of hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. This is not about whether or not anybody else is faithful. This is not about that person who badmouths you. This is not about that person who badmouths the church. This is not about that person who ignores you despite your best efforts. This is not about the person who is tired of you talking about Jesus. This is not about them. This is about Jesus. We communicate a lot with whether or not we communicate. Homologeo means to say the same. You can't say the same unless you say in the first place. I've mentioned the statistic before, but I've never found it. But I've, I've heard enough statisticians quote it that it's got to be true out there somewhere. We're just going to act like it is. I've heard from multiple outlets that there are more people afraid of speaking in public than there are of dying. That that's a greater fear for some people, that they would rather die than speak in public. 
Do you know the early church didn't seem to have that fear? And it makes me raise the question sometimes, why? Why are we afraid to stand up in public and talk about Jesus? What are we afraid of losing? What are we afraid of happening? Because whatever it is that is keeping you from talking about Jesus in public, or maybe one-on-one, it might not be public, whatever it is, that's the God that you're worshiping instead of Him. Because we were told in Scripture to hold fast our confession, which requires speaking. It requires talking to people about Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 27 and 28. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Am I telling you that as a Christian, if you get scared of speaking in public, God is going to kill you and send you to hell? No, that is not what I'm telling you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm quoting this from Jesus to make a point. Is if we are more scared of people than we are of not obeying the God who sent His Son to die for us, our priorities are in the wrong place. Do you fear other people more than you fear God? I was talking to somebody else this week, and I'll say this at the beginning of 2018. Um, I, I don't know what anybody in this church gives. I will never know what anybody in this church gives. I have no interest in knowing what any of you give. Any of you are perfectly welcome to call the office and ask what I give. That way I can talk to you about it and do it with a clear conscience. But I was talking to somebody this week, and both of us agreed, you know, I'm afraid not to tithe. I'm afraid not to. Because when I start allowing myself to think, well, oh my goodness, if I don't tithe, I might not have enough to pay this. Or if I tithe, I might not have enough to pay this. I, who am I more afraid of? Am I more afraid of Georgia Natural Gas or am I more afraid of Jesus? Am I more afraid of Georgia Power or am I afraid of Jesus? Who is more worthy of my fear? Jesus. Jesus is more worthy of my fear. And this is not about tithing, but this is just saying, where is your reverence? Where is your fear? Where is your respect? That for us to confess, we've got to speak. We've got to be willing to say something. We've got to be willing to do something. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of them more than you're afraid of God. And y'all listen, God's on your side. When he commands you to do this, he's not standing over there with a scorecard going up. Well, yep, they did good on that one. Just obey him. He'll supply you his spirit. He'll take care of you. 
2 Timothy 1, 11 and 12, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Paul was suffering because he was preaching and teaching, because he was opening his mouth. But listen to what he said. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have, I know in whom I have believed and, I, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. Paul said, even though I am suffering for speaking, suffering for speaking is worth it because I know who I have believed in and I know what he is capable of and I know that he is faithful to promises he has made to me. So it is worth me obeying him even if I suffer at the hands of somebody else. And then finally... Josh, why in the world did you put this verse on the handout? <laughs> I know, it's weird, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 11, 29-32. This is about the Lord's Supper, isn't it? For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Why did I put this verse in here? Well, a lot of this conver conversation in Hebrews about whether or not this is believers or unbelievers centers around passages called the warning passages. One of them, one of them is in chapter 10, right here where we are. Uh, verse 26, look at this, this, is chapter 10 of Hebrews. Uh, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. D that sounds a lot like he's saying, if we sin after we've heard the gospel, there isn't anything left for us, right? Just a a fear of fiery indignation and judgment. That's the way a lot of people read it. And that's, that's where a lot of people get the idea you can lose your salvation. That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. The author of Hebrews is, however, saying, be very cautious of consciously disobeying God, believers. Don't get the idea that just because Christ has forgiven you eternally for your sin, He will not discipline you like His child, because that's who you are. And right here in 1 Corinthians 11, 29-32, Paul is explaining to them, guys, listen, you heard the gospel, you heard the message, you heard what you're supposed to do, and you heard how you're supposed to live as a Christian, and you ignored it, and that's why many are weak and sick among you, and many of you sleep. My child is not old enough for this yet, but maybe some of y'all remember this from when you were a kid. If you ever went somewhere with your parents, and it was somewhere where you were supposed to be having a good time, like you're supposed to be like playing and having a good time, but you got in your mind that it was a good idea for you to, you know, just pitch an ever-loving fit and lose your mind and yell and scream and do things you weren't supposed to. What did your parent, where did your parent threaten to take you? Home. If you don't stop right now, I'm going to put you in that car. My mama's here today. I can say this. If you don't stop right now, I'm going to put you in that. Hi, mama. I love you. Um... I'm going to put you in that car and I'm going to take you home and we're going to leave. And if you didn't believe it, what did they do? 
They put you in the car and took you home. And it didn't matter how much you cried. It didn't matter. I'm going to be better. Yeah, you're going to be better at home. You're not going back. Where do you think we as parents got that idea? And the Lord said, let us make man in our image. Do you think God is above taking you home if you won't listen? That's exactly what Paul said he's going to do in 1 Corinthians 11. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Christian, if you would obey God, God would not have to discipline you. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. I don't want to be scary and I don't want this to sound legalistic because I hate legalism more than just about anybody else in the world. But y'all listen, the Bible is the Bible. And God has commanded us to hold fast our confession, to speak, to tell people about Jesus. And to be honest, y'all, the church is God's plan A for reaching the world for Jesus Christ, and He has not given a plan B. So if we are not going to hold fast our confession, if we are not going to obey Him by speaking, He might discipline us. And he might move somebody in who will obey. More on that in a minute. Point two. So look forward in confident confession. And second, look forward in service. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and works. So watch the command. He says to consider one another. Uh, Pay close attention. Notice each other. Why? In order to stir up love and good works. Now this word, uh, stir up, in, in, in Greek it's actually it's a pretty violent word. Um, it normally has a negative meaning. It normally has a negative connotation. But it's hard to translate that word negatively when its objects are love and good works. So this, this word is kind of given translators fits. The idea being it's it's a pretty active word. Like, it's not very tame. It's the, the way the New American Standard renders it is stimulate. The NIV says spur. And despite the fact that the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, is not my favorite translation, it is my favorite translation for this particular word. It's the word provoke. I promised myself before I came here today I wasn't going to reference this, but I'm going to. Have any of y'all noticed me grabbing my tie a lot this morning? I think it's subconscious calming myself because of what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow, my beloved Georgia Bulldogs play for the national championship, and I'm going to be a nervous wreck. And I'm going to remind myself not to be an idolater when I'm laying on the couch in a fetal position holding a Georgia pillow and praying for a win. But today, it's going to be subservient to this sermon, and it's going to be a good illustration. Uh, Bulletin board material, whether it's football, baseball, whatever, when you're going to play against somebody, there's something called bulletin board material. This is when a guy on the other team says something publicly about your team that your coach hangs on a bulletin board in the weight room or in the practice room to motivate you every time you look at it. 
So you go, oh no, he didn't say that about me. I'm going to beat him. That's the general idea. That's this word. That the author of Hebrews says, consider each other almost as your bulletin board material. Let it stimulate you. Let it stir you up. Let it provoke you. Love one another so deeply that when you look at each other, you are stirred up to love and good works. Have that kind of affection for each other. Listen, here's how I want to apply the second point. One of our great concerns as a church since I've been here. It's a unique sermon. I'm talking to Stapleton Baptist for the entirety of 2018. One of the great concerns of this church ever since I've been here is I have heard repeatedly frustration, sadness, that for some reason the community will not respond. And the words that I've heard over and over and over again are, I don't understand why this community just doesn't care. I want to challenge that notion that that should upset us. And let me tell you why. If they don't care about the church and the things of God, what does that mean that they're probably not? They're probably not saved. They're probably not Christians. When is it easy for you to find a car dealership when you're driving around? When you're looking for a car? When is it easy for you to find a gas station when you're driving around? When you're running low on gas. When is it easy for you to find a restaurant? When your name's Josh or when you're hungry. You find what you're looking for. And the reason that lost people don't care about the church is that they're not looking for it. It's not on their radar. They don't care about the church because they're not part of it. They don't care about Jesus because they don't know Him. They don't feel that they're missing anything spiritually because they're spiritually dead. Dead people don't feel. Dead people don't miss things. So when we get frustrated and when we get down and we say they don't care, they don't care, they don't care, why don't they care? Why don't they care? It's because they're lost. So what do we do in response to that? I'm not saying we don't care about them this year. Absolutely we care about them. What I'm saying is that the way we reach them, we have got to stop trying to make them care by telling them, well, you ought to be here. You ought to be involved. Because in their mind, why? What reason do I have to be there? My life is fine. I'm not a bad person. When really it's not about whether or not your life is fine or whether or not you're a bad person. The truth is we're all bad people. The Bible's full of bad people. And there's one good guy named Jesus. And the whole story is about him. Everybody else is bad. Pastor's bad. The deacons are bad. All of us are bad. There's one good good guy. His name is Jesus. 
And that's who we're here talking about. That's who saved us. And if somebody doesn't care about Him, it's because they don't know Him and we should not expect them to. The way that we show them, they ought to care. That maybe there is something here to open your eyes to. Listen to what John says in 1 John 4, 7-11. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Here's how you reach a community who doesn't care about you. Care about them even when they don't care about you. But pastor, they won't respond. It doesn't matter. They are men and women and boys and girls made in the image of God who are spiritually dead and they are not looking for life because they don't know they don't have it. The way that you shine the light of the gospel on them is love them in spite of whether or not they care about you because that is exactly the way that God loved you. You were not looking for Jesus. Jesus was looking for you. You did not love Jesus first. Jesus loved you first. You were not interested in Him first. He was interested in you first. So this town, this community, pastor, they don't care. No, they don't. That's exactly why we ought to love them. They ought to look at this church. Listen, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The way we love each other, the way we treat each other, and the way we treat other people in this community, that's going to determine whether or not they want to give us the time of day when we try and hold our confession of hope without wavering. You earn the right to share the gospel with somebody. And if you try and share the gospel with somebody who the testimony of our life has been, we don't care about you, they will not listen. They will shut you down and shut you out. It's a lot easier to talk to somebody when they know you love them and you don't have an agenda. So Stapleton, what are we going to do? Here's what we do. We love each other so that... My heater died, okay? My heater died this weekend. I spent Sunday night and Monday with my mama. Me and my wife and my little baby were, were down, down the road. We stayed there. And we thought maybe our heater could make it just through the night from Monday to Tuesday and then get fixed Tuesday. We got back 15 minutes after we got back from my mama's house Monday. Guess what happened? It's out. And Emily looked at me and said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to call our church family. We're going to call our church family. And you know what? In like 30 minutes, we were in a house. We had a bed to sleep in. And I looked at some folks and I said, I don't know how people do it without a church family. I, I, I don't know. 
We ought to love each other to such a degree that there is nothing comparable to the way we treat each other out there in the rest of the world. So that when folks look at the church, they go, I've never seen anything like that. That doesn't make sense to me. And we can say, no, it doesn't make sense. But neither did the fact that Jesus wanted to die for me. What had I done to deserve that? Nothing. I hadn't even asked for it. And He did it. Love them like God loved you without expectation and without precondition and do it out of honor for Jesus. Do it for His glory. And I guarantee you, God will honor this church. If we wait for people to earn our love and affection, God will not bless this church because that is not the gospel. We do not operate on a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours basis. If we ever do that, we have totally lost the gospel and we are not operating as Christians. We're operating as a business and I wouldn't be surprised if God shut us down. The day that becomes our mentality. We can't do that. So look forward in service. Love one another and love this community sacrificially without expecting anything from them. And finally, look forward in unity. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. This word forsaking is also a strong word in Greek. Um, Forsaking is a pretty good way to render it. Uh, Some translators have rendered it abandoned. Do not abandon gathering together. Do not desert. Uh, It's, I mean, desertion. uh, How many of you know what desertion means if you're military? I mean, that'll, that'll get you executed or locked up for a real long time. Desertion is a big deal. And this is essentially that same word. The author of Hebrews says, do not desert gathering together. And do not abandon gathering together. Do not forsake gathering together. He says, as is the manner of some. The, if, if you grab one of the little yellow Bibles on the side of your pew, if you don't have one, that's our gift to you. You can take it. You don't have to give it back. That's a Holman Christian Standard Bible. The translation of the word forsaking is a little bit tamer. But I think they get the idea of the second clause, which is what I want to get at. He's, uh, the Holman Christian Standard says, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. Why don't you just look around at this room for just a second. Take like three seconds, look around, and just make an estimation of how many people you think you see here. What, 20? 25? Maybe. Okay, I think as of last call, there were about 88 members on our church roll. We have, you know, a little bit less than 30% of our membership here right now. Habitually deciding that gathering together for worship is not a big deal. 
Guys, this, it's not just an administrative frustration where we wish. It's not even about giving. It's about whether or not you believe the Word of God and whether or not you want to obey it. The Bible explicitly says, y'all, we don't just come when we feel like it. We don't just come when we feel like it. We come because God says to. Sometimes you don't feel like worship. Sometimes you've got to worship yourself into worshiping. Not worship yourself. You, you know what I mean. I had one of the old timers tell me, sometimes you just got to prime the pump. That it's not, it, it just don't want to go. So Jesus, you know what? I just, sometimes we wake up on Sunday morning and we'll say, if there's any other way, Lord, let this cup pass from me. You know who else said that? In a much more, dire circumstance Jesus looked at Calvary and said Father this doesn't look all that comfortable there's no other way y'all if Jesus can walk up if he can get up the mountain for you you can get out to bed for him I'm not trying to be rude I'm not trying to be pushy But Hebrews actually says it. Don't forsake it. Don't abandon it. Don't desert it. The church is not something you do. It is something you are. You are part. If you are a Christian, if you are part of the body of Christ, imagine what kind of a bad day you would have if half your cells decided they didn't want to function one day. What would that look like? It would be bad. It's about to get really real behind this pulpit, and I debated whether or not I was even going to say anything about this, but we cannot look back at 2017 and look forward in 2018, I don't think, without me mentioning this. Stapleton Baptist, we're rooted in this community. We're part of it. Which means when something happens in this community one way or another, it's going to touch us, isn't it? It's going to affect us somehow or another. Um, There was a tragedy that occurred in this town in 2017. Our next door neighbors died. Right there. Our next door neighbors died. There but by the grace of God go we. I saw them come for the funeral. That's what it was. Effectively. When the United Methodist Church took the UMC cross off the wall and decommissioned the church. That the only remnant of it being a UMC church is the sign that says Stapleton United Methodist Church, but it doesn't exist anymore. The sign's all that's left. They don't meet for worship on Sunday mornings, they don't meet for Bible study on Wednesday nights. 
Y'all do not believe that Stapleton Baptist Church is, is a community fixture that cannot die. Don't believe that this church is going to outlive you and do not believe that we are indestructible. But wait a minute, Pastor. Jesus promised that the gates of hell were not going to prevail against His church. Yes, He did. He did promise that. That's true. But I want to point to another promise of God. And then we'll close out with this. Flip way back in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I'm going to read a little bit. And the only verses you have on your handout are 34 through 36. But I'm going to read and I want you to just listen. And understand that this is Moses talking to the children of Israel. After wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Having not been able to go into the promised land. Despite the fact that God promised them, I'm going to take you in. That's the context of this sermon. Listen to what Moses says. Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting in verse 20. And I said to you, you've come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord the God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us. Let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. And the plan pleased me well. So I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came out into the valley of Eskol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it back down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, It is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the 